disgracefully weekly podcast of seriously funny and sometimes raunchy monologues. I'm Carolyn Meyer, and I have a story for you. This is episode number 22, Dear Diaries. expect I keep a diary. Actually, though, I call it a journal. It has no literary value. It's just a bunch of random bullshit that shows what an insecure fuck-up I feel like a lot of the time when, when I'm not feeling like I'm ready to conquer the world. But I'm not going to tell you about my diary. This is about my father's diary that I find in an old trunk in my mother's attic after she dies the diary my father kept when he was a college student. The year is 1928. Vic Meyer is majoring in mechanical engineering, but his main interest is theater, and he's president of the Drama Society, which is where he meets Peg McGeary. He's given Peg his fraternity pin. That summer, he's 21 years old and living with his parents in a suburb of Philadelphia and he has a job repairing underground cables for the telephone company in the city. Peg McGeary lives in Pittsburgh at the other end of the state, and almost every night, Vic writes her a long letter. And he writes in his diary. Here's one of the early entries in his diary. Peg is my dream girl. I've never been faithful to anybody in the past, but. I'm going to be absolutely faithful to Peg. I hope she will believe me when I say that I love, adore, and worship her, and belong to her heart, body, and soul. But Vic wants to date other girls, too. He decides that he will have one date a month, three for the whole summer, because, he says, after Peg announces our engagement, I won't be able to have any dates. Meanwhile, back in Pittsburgh, Peg writes to Vic that she's cutting her letters down to two a week. And Vic fires off an angry response. I don't know what he wrote to that letter, but I do know how Peg replies. Dear Vic, I can never forgive you for the terrible things you said in that letter. Our engagement is broken, and I'm not going to wear your pin anymore. It's possible that we can be friends someday, but nothing more. Well, Vic is crushed. It's over, and I deserve everything I'm getting. I I, I can't go on without her. I keep thinking of how calm and quiet death would be, but, but I can't do it. It would blacken her reputation. He makes a decision. If Peg is really through with me forever, I'll never go back to school. I'll leave for the West and stay out there and until I've forgotten that I ever loved a girl named Peg McGeary. I've got to travel the broad highway of life alone. Well, that's on Friday, but on Sunday at church, he sees Beatrice, girl in a yellow dress, and he chooses her as the target for this summer's flirtation. He makes a date with Beatrice. They go dancing. He kisses her goodnight. The next weekend, on a camping trip, he meets Jacqueline. They talk about religion and politics and marriage. He writes, 
She's the most interesting girl I've talked to in many moons. I've got to see Jacqueline again. The following night, he has a date with Francis, an old flame. We decided we'd live again just as we were three years ago. She sat on my lap and we kissed just the way we used to. Now the first half of the summer is over and Vic is thinking about Peg. There isn't another girl in the world I give a damn for. I've dated and necked and told girls I love them, but I don't. And I never will care for anyone but Peg. Nevertheless, he drives up to see Jacqueline, who is wearing a pink dress and a red rose in her hair. We turn on the Victrola and waltz, and she reads poetry to me. She's beautiful, wonderful. I ought to forget everybody but Peg, but I can't let Jack go, even if I've only seen her twice. I find someone who, who feels as I do about life. Two weeks later, he's with Jacqueline again, gazing at the stars. I tell her, had to tell her I loved her, and she kissed a flower and gave it to me. And if I had my fraternity pin back, I surely would have asked her to wear it. But of course, Peg still has that pin. Now, to take his mind off Jack, Vic goes canoeing with Jean, another old flame. We had quite the rare old party down there in the bottom of the canoe. She climbed on top of me, but as usual, I was calm, cool, collected. The next Sunday at church, Vic runs to, into his childhood sweetheart, Bets. Bets is the sweetest girl I've ever gone with, the kind of girl I'd like to marry and settle down with. I wish deep in my heart I could win her again. I could marry that girl and be the happiest of men, faithful to her until death us did part. Now, if you've been counting, there's Peg, but there's also Beatrice, Jacqueline, Francis, Jean, and Bets. That makes six, and he loves them all. Summer ends and Vic is back in college for his senior year. He settles into the fraternity house, registers for classes, opens some bank accounts, including a separate romance fund. And now the meeting, the moment we've been waiting for, the meeting. Enter Peg McGeary. She's back. And he's over the moon. They go for a long walk along the river. Suddenly, she stops and says, I like you just as much as ever, Vic, but we have five years before we can even think of marrying, so I don't want to be engaged to you. She gives him back his fraternity pin. Tears pour down his cheeks. At this point, you're probably as relieved as I am that this romance is finally over. In June, he graduates. The telephone company offers him a job in Harrisburg. When he arrives, a fraternity brother wastes no time before fixing him up with a date. So we go dancing, and writes in his diary. And she's a pretty smooth dancer, and then we park, and I neck her. <laughs> I know I shouldn't have done it, but heck, <laughs> I'm a hell of a guy. Well, that's the end of the diary. 
but there's a scrapbook in which D Dick Meyer has pasted newspaper clippings about his new life in Harrisburg with the community theater group. He'd been active in theater in college, that's where he met Peg, and starring as an intoxicated boyfriend. One of the best pieces of acting seen recently on the campus, according to the college newspaper. That fall in Harrisburg, he has a role in the company's season opener. He appears in Craig's Wife, a play that won the Pulitzer. As the ineffectual husband who rises from docile obedience to one moment of heroism, Victor Meyer played convincingly. By March 1930, Vic has a leading role in a new play. Miss Slovenia Buckwalter, in the role of the unfortunate child of divorced parents, receives a great deal of favorable comment from the audience. She also receives a great deal of attention from the leading man. He lands the part in uh, Paris Bound. His leading lady is Lovinia Buckwalter, described as vibrant, vivacious. Victor Meyer is her buoyant husband. That winter, the Society page of the Har Harrisburg Patriot features a photograph of Miss Lovinia Buckwalter, who wears a shimmering satin gown dangly earrings, rope of pearls, almost down to her navel. I find a letter tucked between the last blank pages of the photo album. My darling Vic, remember that I will be up here with you tonight, living every word you say, every gesture you make. All my love to you, my darling, yours, Lovinia. The letter was written on the opening night of Journey's End. It had played in London, starring Laurence Olivier. First honors to Victor Meyer, whose portrayal of Captain Stanhope was as creditable a piece of acting as was seen this season. In that old trunk, with the diaries and the scrapbook and the album, I find a tarnished silver ID bracelet with his initials on the front, HVM, and on the back, the initials LB, Lovinia Buckwalter. But within a couple of years, he's transferred to Lewistown, 60 miles from Harrisburg, where he meets Sarah, the girl whom he marries and who will be my mother. I wish that there were a diary that covered that part of his life. I would love to have seen my mother through my father's eyes. I'm not quite seven months old when my father begins another diary. Starting on the 1st of January, and for the next 281 consecutive days, he chronicle, chronicles the events of my life. The oddest thing about this diary is that he writes it in my voice as though I am the baby telling my own story. Not only is this odd, it's downright weird. I am being weaned from mummy to a bottle. Sometimes I am constipated. 
I weigh 18 pounds and get another tooth. My father records it all, one boring detail after another, day in and day out. Mummy wheels me around town in my carriage. She tries to toilet train me, but I do not cooperate. Grandma teaches me to wave bye-bye, play patty cake, and show that I am so big. But the diary is not just about me. It's about my parents, too. Mummy gives piano lessons and goes to an English lady for knitting instructions. Daddy rehearses for a church play, attends the Kiwanis Club. Unless they stay up late playing Monopoly, they are in bed early until I wake them at 2 a.m. demanding food and attention. Mummy and Daddy's friends come to play bridge. Daddy paints the kitchen and sings along with the radio. He listens to a fight on the radio between the heavyweight champion Joe Lewis and the German boxer Max Schmeling. Schmeling knocks out Lewis in the 12th round. My daddy cheers. One of Daddy's and Mummy's favorite programs is Baby Snooks. Comedian Francie Bright, Fanny, that's Fanny Bryce, plays the bratty four-year-old with her irritating whine. Wine, Daddy. My daddy begins calling me Snooks. He calls me Snooks for years. Then on October 8th, I am 16 months old. This morning, Mummy went shopping, and I was left at home with Grandma, and I helped her dust. It stops there. The rest of the page, the rest of the diary are blank. I have no idea why it stops so abruptly. I'm seven years old when the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor and my father enlists. He keeps a diary. From his basic training to his first posting in England, then in North Africa, and on to Corsica, Italy. Very different from his early diary. He's no longer 21-year-old wearing his heart on his sleeve. Now he's in his late 30s and his emotional filters are firmly in place. The wartime diaries might be of interest to a military historian, but not so much to the adult daughter looking for clues into her father's interior life. I believe the writer should keep a journal and to get in the habit of writing something every day. Keeping a diary helps a writer to be a good observer of life. I've done that for many years, but as I said in the beginning, my journal is just a bunch of random bullshit. But then four or five years ago, I decided to reinvent myself, and I began a new journal, digital this time, chronicling the start of a new life. I sign up for online dating, and I do meet some interesting men. I don't want to marry again, but... I'm just an atom that wants to be part of a molecule. My favorite pronouns are we and us. But it's usually obvious from the first 10 minutes that this isn't going anywhere. And I feel as though I'm interviewing a man I don't want to hire for a job he doesn't want to get. Early on, there's Michael, an architect, until he turns out to be a fraudster. And then after Michael, there's Clark, an orthodontist, and then George, an economist. And Rob, a college professor, and Daniel, an actor. It's all there, spelled out in my digital journal. Carolyn, unmasked.
embarrassingly revealed. Michael, Clark, George, Rob, Daniel. The list is not so different from Beatrice, Jacqueline, Jean, Betts, and of course, Peg, and Lavinia. Sarah doesn't make it into my diaries, father's diary until after I'm born. My father loved them all. Now, now remember, he was in his 20s. Well, I am several decades older. But I am, after all, my father's daughter. You can read this and other stories at my blog at bonniecarolyn.com and come back next week for episode number 23, Guess Who's Coming to Visit? I'm Carolyn Meyer, and I'm aging disgracefully. Thank you.